When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, before this episode starts, I want to talk about some pretty cool news. Oki Investigations now has its own website. It's truecrime.blog, and it is a running blog for crime stories and for this show. So if you're a true crime buff and you want to see some cool things that we gathered while researching each show, including a like timeline of events that we put together, uh, newspaper clippings, court documents, and much, much more. Come check us out at truecrime.blog. One, two, three, and... Hello, everyone, and welcome to Oki Investigations. My name is Trevor Shelby. In this episode, we're going to discuss two simultaneous bank robberies in 1927, led by one of Oklahoma's most infamous bandits. The little town of Beggs, Oklahoma would make national news after a shootout with bandits resulted in the death of the police chief. The bandits also shot a woman who was gunned down while trying to save her children. In this episode, we'll discuss what happened, why, and what's happened since. But first, if you're a first-time listener, to experience this podcast to its finest, hit that subscribe button so when we have new episodes, you will be the first to know. Then, head on over to our Facebook page. Here we can discuss the case together, and perhaps come up with our own theories on the many cases that are featured on this show. You can find us at facebook.com forward slash Investigation. Now sit back and I hope you enjoy the story of Matthew Kimes and the Beggs, Oklahoma bank robberies. May 18th, 1927. Beggs, Oklahoma. A small town nestled near Okmogee in Tulsa, Oklahoma. They were on the paved highway that led to Tulsa. That doesn't sound like a big deal now, but back then, there were not many paved highways in that area. This meant that more people could come through town with ease and at a better traveling speed. This also meant that all kinds of people would be able to visit the little town, even the ones that intend on doing harm. The little town of Beggs had three banks in town. A Farmer's National Bank, the First National Bank, and the American Bank. The staff at the Farmer's National Bank were expecting a regular day, just like any other. Just like the other banks in town, the Farmer's National Bank helped with keeping money and providing services like loans. They helped out local farmers buy what they needed on credit, be it seeds, tractors, land, or livestock. Many people in Beggs, Oklahoma, were either farmers or they were closely related to farmers, so they had a real kinship to one another. Miss Campbell was headed into town with her children. She was going to go shopping and get a few items that they needed for their house. She parked across the street from the Farmer's National Bank, and she stepped out of her vehicle and put her baby in her arms. And then she saw the most curious thing. 
There was a person standing at the door to the bank, eyeing everything going on just down the street. She then saw, as plain as day through the windows, men with guns drawn, talking to the tellers. Bank robberies were not unheard of in Begs. They were an isolated town that made them vulnerable. Bandits at the time liked these small-town banks because getting in and getting out was typically pretty easy, and if done right, it could be a pretty good score. Miss Campbell told her children to wait in the car, and with her baby in hand, she walked without haste as to not raise suspicion, and walked over to the pool hall to let someone know what was going on. She walked inside, and that's where she found Marshall McAnally having a conversation with the owner. It was by luck that she were to run into the marshal here. He was about to leave for the day. It was his and his wife's 37th year anniversary. When she spotted the marshal, she yelled, Someone is robbing the bank! Quickly, the marshal and the owner of the pool hall jumped into action. The marshal stepped outside and faced the bank as the bandits were loading up in their vehicle. The marshal wasn't going to give them a chance to get away. He took aim, opened fire on them, and they responded with a hell of gunfire back. Scared for her children, Miss Campbell dashed from the pool hall and ran back towards her vehicle. The bandits targeted her, and she was shot in the neck. With her baby in her arms, she fell to the ground. The owner of the pool hall had only went out to witness what was going on. He was fired at as well. He quickly retreated back into his place of business as he did not have a weapon himself. As the vehicle sped away, the marshal stepped out from cover to continue to fire at the fleeing vehicle. As he stepped out into the street, he didn't notice that from behind, another car was speeding towards him. A man leaned out of the side of the car and aimed a sawed-off shotgun at the officer and fired. Marshal McAnally died instantly. Three cars in all sped away from the little town. As they did so, they fired wildly in the sides of buildings, breaking windows, causing chaos in their wake. The townspeople were not going to take this lightly. Quickly responding to the shots, they formed a posse, gathered weapons, and found a car to pursue them. They drove off into the direction that the bandits went, but the only thing they found was one of their cars, empty. It seemed that they had suffered a flat tire, either from driving too fast down the bumpy road, or one of Mick Annelly's shots had done the job. There was also blood in the back of the vehicle. It seemed that they didn't all get out unscathed. The news quickly spread that two of the three banks had been robbed at precisely the same time. Both the Farmers National Bank and the First National Bank. There was also a third bank, the American National Bank, that was not robbed. It was further down the road, but one of the three vehicles that sped away came from that area as if it were supposed to have been robbed. Miss Campbell was rushed to the hospital. She was not expected to live, but she was made of stronger stuff, and she survived the attack. Also, the baby was unharmed. There was a large, multi-faced clock on a corner in Beggs, Oklahoma. And it was theorized that this was how the bandits synchronized the robberies. On one side, the two groups of bandits were able to stay synchronized because they were looking at the same face of the clock. 
the other side of the clock ran a few minutes behind, so it was believed that the bandits were supposed to hit the American National Bank at the same time as the others, but they were not synchronized. A few of the witnesses recognized a man who had been in the Oklahoma and national news almost daily for the past year, Matthew Kimes. Matt was a well-known fugitive, robbing banks, killing whoever got in his way, and when he was caught, his men had broken him out of jail. He was one of the hardest outlaws to catch, always seeming to be one step ahead of the marshals. By this time, it was almost a joke. If someone lost their keys, they would say, I bet Kimes' gang had something to do with this. Or, was Matthew Kimes in town? Shortly before this robbery, Kimes had been sentenced to life in prison, and he was actually broken out of jail before he was able to be locked down in prison. Part of his success was that it seemed that he was always traveling, never staying in one place for too long. There were reports of sightings of him all over the place, so it seemed like he was everywhere and nowhere all at the same time. Some of the stories seemed way too fantastic to have actually been Kimes behind the act, but there was reason that the bankers and begs would know who Kimes was. A year before this robbery, Matt Kimes robbed the same Farmers National Bank. The manhunt was on, but the police had little to go on. Kimes and his gang were masters at hiding, and they had little to no leads on where they were heading. Days would go by without a break in the case. The Oklahoma Bankers Association decided to protect their employees at any cost. They placed a bounty on the gang's head. This notice was sent to every bank in the state and began with a $500 bounty. Each bank then donated to that bounty, and within a couple of days, it had swelled the $50,000 bounty on the capture of the gang, dead or alive. Some bankers in the state crossed out the words alive, believing that if caught alive, he would just escape again. On May 31, 1927, officers were able to arrest six men connected with the Kimes gang three of which were believed to have been present at the robberies and subsequent murder in Beggs. Two of the men, Blackie Wilson and Owen Edwards, were arrested after an impressive shootout with officers in Borger, Texas. The three known members of the gang that were present in the Beggs robbery and murder were charged with that murder. The others were just charged as accomplices. On June 15th in Drumright, Oklahoma, Mr. and Mrs. Orville Noble had just stopped by a friend's house for a quick visit. No sooner had they walked inside the door, they heard a car engine come to life. When the Nobles looked back, they saw their car driving away. Miss Noble was frantic. Their two-year-old son was asleep in the back seat. The unknowing kidnapper soon realized that the sleeping child was in the back seat. He pulled the car over into a vacant lot and pulled the sleeping child out of the car. He was wrapped in a coat and gently placed him on the ground where he would be found. Soon after, a few boys that were playing in the neighborhood found the young boy asleep and brought him to authorities. The thief was on his own at the time and keen to get out of town. He was speeding to get out of Drumright when he saw a roadblock up ahead. 
officers were already on to him and were covering all major roads that led out of town. This roadblock, however, only had one officer watching it. He rolled up slowly, and when the officer approached his car, he pulled out a sawed-off shotgun and aimed it at the officer. The thief then took the officer down the road and tied him to a tree. The officer said that he thought it was Kimes, and he asked him. The man admitted his identity and proved it by showing him some photos of himself. What a strange sight it would be to see an officer tied to a tree looking at photos with a known killer. Kimes then sped off in his stolen Buick Roadster. Another posse was formed, but they were about as lucky as the last. They found the stolen vehicle abandoned in Oilton, Oklahoma, just west of Tulsa. Seeing that things were getting a little too hot in Oklahoma, Matt Kimes quickly plotted his escape from the Sooner State. Little did he know that this would be his undoing. Nine days after his flight from capture in Drumright, Kimes was spotted by forest rangers at the Grand Canyon National Park. Kimes signed in at the station as Henry Watkins from Oklahoma. The rangers phoned ahead to local law enforcement and the hotel where he was headed to who was actually coming. Kimes parked his car at the hotel and took a short walk over to the rim of the Grand Canyon. Below him was a slope that dropped hundreds of feet. Local Sheriff J.O. Parsons and Chief Forest Ranger J.P. Brooks arrived and quickly found Kimes, who was still enjoying the view. The sheriff approached with his gun drawn. Kimes turned around and saw what was happening. He started to reach for his own gun, but quickly realized he was going to lose this fight. Quickly and without any warning, Kimes leapt over the rim of the canyon to land in thick brush on a ledge just below the rim of the canyon. If he had missed his target, he would have fallen to his death. Kimes tried to make a run for it, but on foot and in a place where he was not familiar with, he was quickly surrounded. He exchanged fire with the officers, and then when he decided that all hope was lost, he willingly gave up. Sheriff John Russell and two of his deputies drove out to Arizona and retrieved Kimes. They drove back to Okmulgee County. Almost as soon as he was back in jail, he was giving interviews about what really happened. He would deny all involvement in the killing and begs. He was quoted, It was badly done, he said. It was totally unnecessary to kill the marshal. I had nothing to do with it. One thing the smaller jails had to contend with at the time was when angry mobs would form and they would break into the jail and then drag the prisoner out, typically to kill them. But in this case, thousands of people from all around gathered around the jail just because they wanted to get a glimpse of the outlaw. You see, Kimes had become somewhat of a celebrity. His name was mentioned in papers from all over the United States, for one thing or another, almost every single day. So, with Kimes' approval, they paraded him around the courthouse square. Kimes was given time to bathe, shave, and change his clothes before going out, and it was said he was somewhat taken aback from the response that he received. He spent most of his time on the run and didn't realize that he had become this like, big celebrity. As he walked around, it was reported that he was followed by his wife, who showed absolutely no emotion, and several other women who were all crying. 
After the first go-around, they decide to let him go out again later that day and be paraded out again. At the trial, Kimes pled not guilty, and the whole show was on its way. Matthew Kimes had a self-proclaimed cowboy lawyer named Sid White. He was a very outspoken and animated character. First off, the prosecution brought forth Sheriff Russell, who would go on to testify that they knew that Kimes had a long-range pump gun. They found one in his possession in Arizona, and Kimes had admitted to the sheriff that it was his. The gun was presented to the court, and attorney Sid White picked it up and looked at it as if he didn't believe a word about anything they said about it. And he fumbled with the gun for a minute and put it back down. Kimes gang member Roy Blackie Wilson had turned state evidence against his fellow gang members for a lighter sentence. He named the members of the group that were involved in the murder and the robberies that took place in Beggs. He named Kimes as the leader of the group. The prosecution brought forth several witnesses who were either in the bank or on the street and saw Matthew Kimes in Beggs. A woman who was in the bank testified that Kimes spoke to her directly and saw how frightened she was, and he told her, Don't worry, we're not going to hurt you. The defense brought a Texas doctor to trial who was attending to Kimes' mother, who was very ill and on her deathbed. He stated that on the day of the killing, he knew that Kimes was with his mother. Others testified that they witnessed the crimes happen and begs, but they didn't see Kimes at all. It was all handed over to the jury. This case was unique. Typically, a jury has to choose to let someone go by finding them not guilty or sentence them to jail time or death. But in this case, Kimes was already convicted of a separate crime and had escaped from jail, so they could either find him guilty and let him serve his already life sentence or they could sentence him to death. It took the jury just 24 hours to reach their decision. In this case, the jury chose death. When read aloud to the court, Kimes seemed unfazed. When he was let out of the courthouse, the guard said, Well, Matt, you can't beat me in a game of pitch tonight. And Matt responded, The hell I can't. I haven't anything else to think about now. Now, there was apparently some errors that the state made in the first trial that ended up forcing the state to give Kimes another trial. The death penalty was removed from ever being sentenced to Kimes. He was retried in September of 1928, and Kimes made an agreement with the prosecution and pled guilty to the murder of the marshal. He was then sentenced again to life in prison. From 1928 to 1945, Kimes would remain behind bars. He was considered pretty much a model prisoner. He was popular and somewhat of a celebrity. When the prison would put on baseball games or shows, it would not be uncommon for Kimes to be the feature of it. In a strange but not all unexpected turn of events, Kimes was up for parole in 1945. The judge thought it would be a good idea to let Kimes out on a three-day pass to present his bid of freedom to the governor. He was awarded a six-month leave from his sentence. Not too long after he received this newfound freedom, a bank in Morton, Texas was robbed. The FBI believed Kimes was up to his old tricks again, but they never really found out for sure because Kimes died in an automobile accident in Arkansas soon after. Inside the car, police found over $1,000 in cash and a pistol. 
The Oklahoma Parole Board was heavily criticized for letting Kimes go. Anyways, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Oki Investigations. I know I really enjoyed this one. This one was a lot of fun to kind of pick through and investigate. I think Matthew Kimes was the kind of person that just wasn't going to give up the life that he chose. He loved being a bank robber. And that was something that I think that by going out and just doing it again, that was just going to be... If he was caught, I think he'd have been okay with it. I think that he was just gonna gain a little bit more notoriety. The He knew the Oklahoma state government had made a, a error in letting him go. And he was going to kind of make an example out of that, I guess. So anyways, make sure you guys hit that subscribe button. Uh, that way when we have new episodes, you will be the first to know. And I hope to see you guys next time. I'll see you guys next weekend. See ya. Save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save big money.